0: Welcome to Reclaiming the Faith with Phil Baker, a podcast with a mission to reveal what the earliest Christians believed about the core issues facing us
1: today. You can find links to all of Phil's resources at philsbaker.com. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen today. Take a moment to share this podcast with your friends. Now, here's Phil. Hey, y'all. This is episode 146, and today my wife and I get back into our Philippians Bible study, and we look at what it means that Jesus has the name above all names or above every name. We also talk a little bit about a pretty cool witnessing strategy to use with Jehovah's Witnesses. So, I really hope you're blessed by this episode, and if you are, please consider leaving a positive rating and review on my Apple podcast channel, Reclaiming the Faith. Also, please uh, be in prayer for me, uh, as I announced last time, uh, as I'm writing a book on 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, and uh, I'm probably halfway through chapter 6 right now of 8 chapters, And, um, yeah, I hope to have that done in the summertime. So yeah, be in prayer for me. I'm trying to be careful with it and slow with it. Um, but yeah, I'm blessed to be a part of Omega Frequency and you can check out everything that we do on our Omega Frequency Live and Omega Frequency YouTube channels along with those same channels on Rumble. And you can hit up our omegafrequency.com website for more information. All right, well, without any further ado, let's get into episode 146. We're going to start in verse 3, uh, even though we're Just to give context, even though we're going to be looking at 8 through 11. We'll start at verse 3, read that all the way through, and uh, we'll do it. All right, so here we go. Paul writes, Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. And now verse eight, our verses for this week, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself All right. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Um, And, uh, you know, verses uh, 5 through 11 are often called a a Christ hymn. And so this is uh, perhaps one of the earliest Christian songs that would be sung. um, Maybe at love feasts, uh, generally on like Sunday, late afternoon, early evening, uh, when they would sing a hymn uh, before taking communion. That might be one of the ones that was sung. Uh, there's one like this in Colossians as well. Just some really, really neat stuff that we're looking at tonight. And uh, the first thing I just wanted to mention is that Paul is calling us uh, to do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty conceit. Consider other people more important than ourselves. And that's a really difficult thing to do. But Paul says, just so you know, um, I'm not asking you to do something that God himself didn't do first. Uh, Jesus put us before himself. He put our needs above his needs. Uh, Jesus Christ is the ultimate leader. He never asks us to do something that he won't do first. Basically, uh, what God asks us to do, he does. Jesus played by the rules. That he expects us to play by. Basically, you know, you don't see him operating in the power of the spirit before baptism when the Holy Spirit comes on him in power. And so then he's operating with the strength and power of God. And that's what we do basically as Christians too. the Holy Spirit comes into us. Uh, the early Christians would say at baptism, whether that's a baptism of the spirit or um, the infilling of the spirit or physical baptism or pairing them together happening at both. I don't know. but. Uh, But yeah, so now we're called to obey God through the power, uh, the empowerment of his Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus did as well. Um, We're called to humble ourselves as well, like he did for us. And really that's gonna be the main theme of tonight, this idea of humility and what that looks like and how God modeled that the best for us. Humility is uh, severely lacking in our world it's lacking in me, um, and uh, it is the remedy for so much sin, mm-hmm. uh, so much chaos in our world is humility, and not a humility that um, is found in the world, but a humility that's found in God, the humility that's modeled by Jesus Christ. So let's, let's look at this first verse, okay? Okay. So being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, in Romans chapter 5, I believe it's in verse 19, uh, Paul writes, Through the disobedience of one man, sin and death came into the world. But through the obedience of one man, uh, righteousness came to the many, mm. and uh, uh, John Piper talks about how this verse is often uh, the obedience of the one man, that that particular part of that verse is attributed to the cross, but it's really more of a lifelong thing, it's not just the one act of going to the cross, but it's his whole life, uh, it's not just important that Jesus died for us, it's also important that he lived for us, because every day Jesus was choosing to humble himself and um, do the will of his father. He's only able to die for us um, because he lived for us. He's only able to rise for us because he lived for us and died for us. It's his whole life um, being obedient. And he was obedient even to the point of death, death on a cross, And he knew this was coming. He knew this was coming. This was his his father's will from the beginning. And what I want to do now is kind of show, and we're not going to go through every book of the Bible, but I want to highlight several passages from the first two books of the Bible that show that it was always in God's mind for him to die for us that he would be the one to make it right with us. You can see this starting back all the way in Genesis. And so I just want to highlight those things, that it's really showing the the humility of God from the very beginning. All right, so Genesis 3, 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. That's such an important passage, right? Because it's because of, because, it's because of, that's ridiculous. Uh, Since Adam and Eve sinned, they realized they were naked and they were going to be disfellowshipped with God. He was going to have to kick them out of the garden. And they had tried to clothe themselves with fig leaves, but those fig leaves obviously being taken off of the vine are going to crumble and wither away. Their coverings could not do it. And so God had to kill a perfect animal. Um, A perfect being, no sin, no stain, nothing like that. And this is kind of like one of Adam's pets. And he's having to watch that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness, basically. And it's only through the shedding of blood that he's going to be able to be covered. And God is the one killing the animal. The Lord God provided that sacrifice. Very important. God's starting that right from the beginning. God is going to be the one that's going to do this for us. All right, Genesis 15. Now, this is a long passage, and I want to read it. This is uh, three chapters after God initiates his relationship with Abraham uh, when he's 75, and God tells him he's going to you know, bless him and multiply him and all that stuff. All right, so you know several years have passed, most likely several years. And um, Genesis 15 starts out, after all these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. If you haven't read any of Dr. Michael Heiser's stuff like The Unseen Realm, you should, because this is painting a picture of uh, basically um, a visible form of Yahweh. And it's called the word of the Lord. Who's that? Hmm? So the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision and said, do not fear, Abraham. I am a shield to you and your reward will be very great. Now, Abraham said, oh, Lord God, what will you give me since I'm childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abraham said, since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside. Notice this is the word of the Lord taking Abraham outside in a vision is a visible form of Yahweh took him outside and said, now, Look toward the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then he, Abraham, believed the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. He said, O Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? And he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two and laid each half opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds. Now, uh, Ray Vanderlaan, if you don't know Ray Vanderlaan, you need to get to know Ray Vanderlaan. Uh, His ministry is uh, That the World May Know. Uh, Just incredible teacher. And one of the things that he notes in this is that God is calling Abraham, Abram, to make a covenant. And even though God doesn't say those words straight out to Abraham, Abraham knows exactly what to do. So God is meeting Abram, Abraham, in a, a way that's familiar to him. He knows exactly what's going on. This is a covenant between a greater party and a lesser party. And uh, so Abraham cuts these. He brings it basically to a ravine. On once he cuts the animals in half and he lays them like this, in the ravine. So the blood is coming to the middle of that ravine. And uh, interesting little note, these are the animals that will be used in the daily sacrifices that the Levites make every day at 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. every day. Keep that in mind, okay? These are the sacrifices of the covenant, 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. every single day. Sounds familiar. Right, yep. So um, now the birds, uh, verse 11, let me jump back in. Gosh, every time. (laughs) Verse 12, uh, sorry, verse 11. Now the birds of prey came down upon the carcasses and Abraham drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve and afterward they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace and you will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation, they will return here for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. It came about when the sun had set that it was very dark and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch, which passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenite and the Kenizzite and the Kadamite, sorry, Kadmonite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Rephaim, and the Amorite, and the Canaanite, and the Girgashite, and the Jebusite. I just want to pause there and think about this uh, verse 17 and 18. 18 says that God made a covenant with Abraham. Now in this covenant, you have these animals that have been cut down the middle and laid the halves laid out like this, the blood's pooling in this covenant between a greater party and the lesser party, the terms of the covenant are laid out. I'm going to do this and I will do this and you will do this. And basically what is said is, may it be done to me, what has been done to these animals. If I break my, my, uh, my word, if I, if I don't live up to what we have agreed upon. And this is not a contract, this is a, a binding relationship, uh, intimate binding relationship. But they're saying, what happened to those animals? May that be done to me if I don't keep my end of the bargain. Now, in this covenant that's between a greater party and a lesser party, the greater party goes first, walks through the blood, and then the lesser party goes second. When did Abraham go? When did Abraham walk through it? Well, he didn't. But you do see two things pass through the blood, right? In verse 17, first, there is a smoking oven and then a flaming torch. And both of these are, uh, hey, Byron, Brian, I'm sorry, I can't read
0: It's a dyslexic thing that happens to you every Every time time you see his name. (laughs) Every
1: single time. I'm so sorry, man. Still Brian. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, yeah. So, God passes through first, and then God passes through second. So, God is saying, may it be done to me if I don't keep my end of the bargain, what happened to these things. But God also says, may it be done to me, what happened to these animals, may it be done to me if I... if. You don't keep your end. So it's not just if God sins, God's saying, kill me, but that's not going to happen. But then God basically says, Abraham, if you sin, may it be done to me. Now, we don't really see Abraham's terms, like God saying, I'm going to bless you and multiply you and all that stuff, right? We don't see Abraham's terms until a little bit later in Genesis. You can see it in Genesis 17. Again. It's ridiculous. Yes. I still love you. Thank you. (laughs) Genesis 17. Brian says
0: it's still me, not shape-shifting like (laughs) like Wes. I don't.
1: All right. So (laughs) Genesis 17. Um, Now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and multiply you exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face. And I would too. And so would you. Um, basically, God's saying, look, I'm going to bless you and multiply you. The Messiah is going to come through you, Right. Um, That's what I'm going to do. That's my end of the bargain. All you have to do, Abram, all you got to do is never sin. That's it. Just never sin. And you can see why Abram goes, I'm a dead man. He just falls on his face. Hmm. Yeah, because he knows he can't do it. Right. He can't do it. And God knew that. And that's why you see God go through the blood later. Now, Abraham and Sarah uh, eventually have a boy together named Isaac. Laughter, right? Mm-hmm. Sarah laughing at God. And it came about after all these things. This is in Genesis. I almost did it again. Genesis 22, uh, starting in verse 1. I'm sorry, I have 22 up there. Let me fix that for you. Verse 1. It came about after all these things that God tested Abraham and said, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. Mount Moriah is where the Temple Mount is, basically. This is um, where Jerusalem was built up by David. This is where the threshing floor of Arana was, this is where something really important happened 2,000 years ago. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the lad will go over there. We will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. Isaac carrying the wood that he will be offered on. It's amazing. Just pause for a second. It is amazing that the New Testament writers do not cite this passage at all.
0: Oh, really? I didn't realize that.
1: Yeah. For all the typology that Paul does, that Paul uses, not once do the the writers of the New Testament point to this passage. And yet it is so obvious.
0: What about like the Hebrews Hall of Faith by... By faith, what does it
1: say? Abraham offered up Isaac. Yeah. So they yeah, make reference but he, to it. He makes reference, but they're not citing it as a foreshadowing oh, okay. of I see what you're
0: saying. the yeah. cross.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So let's keep going, though. Keep, keep
0: going. Why do you think that is?
1: Maybe because it's so obvious. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know, but, um, Let's keep, let's keep looking at it. So he, Abraham verse six, took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took his hand, took in his hand, the fire and the knife. So the two of them, so Isaac's got the wood. Abraham has the knife. The father is going to kill the son. So the two of them walked on together. And Isaac spoke to his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And Isaac said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb and the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. They came to the place of which God had told him. Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Isaac stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And it's interesting, before we keep reading, how you don't see Isaac ever complaining. I just can't imagine that. I can't imagine that.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty wild thought.
1: Yeah, you're looking at your dad like he has lost his mind. Yeah. But Isaac, it's not just Abraham trusting yeah. that God's going to raise the dead, it's Isaac trusting the character of his father as well.
0: Yeah, I think that has a, that shows a lot of the importance that we play as parents and like what we teach our kids um about who God is and that he can be trusted and um Yeah, I think that's why Isaac was willing was because he had a father who modeled what it meant to fully trust God and he had seen God taking care of them. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, just incredible humility being demonstrated by both Abraham and Isaac. Lanisha says, that's what I thought. Isaac trusted Abraham so he didn't complain. Just incredible stuff going on here.
0: I mean, I trust my dad a lot, but I'm not sure I would go (laughs) without saying anything.
1: I love your dad, but... Yeah,
0: I mean, (laughs) even a trustworthy parent can be a little bit off sometimes, but that's just kidding.
1: Kidding. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Let's keep going. Abraham stretched out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. That's verse 10. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham said, here I am. It's just, you see the three here I am's. God talks to Abraham. Abraham says, here I am. Isaac talked to Abraham. Abraham says, here I am. Angel of the Lord talks to Abraham. Abraham says, here I am. You see the attentiveness toward God's will that Abraham has. Attentiveness toward his father and attentiveness toward his son, Abraham pays attention. Abraham is available. Abraham is obedient. Abraham is humble. And he said to him, do not stretch out your hand against the lad. Do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Remember who asked Abraham to slay his son, to take his son up on the mountain? The Lord did. The angel of the Lord says, now I know that you fear God since you haven't withheld your son from me. So um, you're seeing a connection between the visible representation of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, um and Yahweh, Mm -hmm. just like you see with Gideon, just like you see with Samson's parents. But continuing, then Abraham raised his eyes and looked and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns, Abraham, a crown of thorns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide the Lord will provide as it is said to this day in the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided on Mount Moriah. It's gonna be provided just like in Genesis three, the Lord provided. Now, I fast forward a few hundred years, several hundred years, and you got a guy named Moses that God chooses to bring the people out of slavery in Egypt. And there are several plagues that come about Um, and the last plague that God decides to unleash on Egypt is the death of the firstborn. Now let's get into this. This is Exodus chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year. I believe this is the month of Aviv, which kind of falls around April for us. Before it had uh, been the land of, or been the land, been the month of Tishri, uh, I believe, which is kind of around September for us. Uh, That's when most believe that God created the world. God created Adam. Lots of things happen in uh, first of Tishri, but now God is resetting their calendar. And he's resetting the whole calendar around this event, this Passover event, the death of the lamb. This is just as big. This is bigger basically than them coming out of Egypt. This event resets their entire calendar. It's the, the major event is the Passover lamb being slain it is totally reorganizing the way of life for the Jews in a sense this is so major this shall be the beginning of months for you it is to be the first of the month first month of the year to you speak to all the congregation of Israel and saying on the 10th of this month they are to they are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to the father's household, a lamb for each household. This would be like Palm Sunday, lamb selection day. Now, if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to him are to take one according to the number of persons in them, according to what each man should eat. You are to divide the lamb. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old, You may take it from the sheep or the goats. You shall eat it until the, sorry, you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Twilight being 3 p.m. This is what um, the Passover lamb would look like. Check out that picture. How is the Passover lamb strung up? What does that look like to you, Steph?
0: It looks like uh, Jesus on the cross. Doesn't it? Yeah. Guess what? Hmm.
1: Um, That observation was made really, really, really early on Uh by Christians. Every year, they put the Passover lamb up like this. This is Justin Martyr in his second Apology, Roman 160. He says, this, the mystery then of the lamb which God enjoined to be sacrificed as the Passover was a type of Christ. Of course, Paul says in, uh, I think it's 1 Corinthians, Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. This Passover was a type of Christ with whose blood in proportion to their faith in him, they anoint their houses, i.e. themselves who believe on him. And that lamb which was commanded to be wholly roasted was a symbol of the suffering of the cross which Christ would undergo. For the lamb which is roasted is roasted and dressed up in the form of a cross. For one spit is transfixed right through from the lower parts up to the head, and one across the back to which are attached the legs of the lamb. Pretty amazing right here that they were seeing for 1,280 years or so. That picture coming right to them. And then one day at 3 p.m. at twilight, when all the sacrifices of, that God told Abraham all the animals that God told him to cut up, they're being sacrificed as well. And the high priest is blowing the shofar. And right then, Jesus, the Lamb of God, is giving up his spirit. And there's a great earthquake and the veil of the temple is torn from top to bottom. And bodies of the ma- of, of many saints are resurrected and reveal themselves to people. Hey, Andrew, good to see you, brother. It's just incredible what happens. God, from before the foundation of the world, had this planned out that he would humble himself. He himself would provide the sacrifice for us. Um, Just incredible humility that our God demonstrates. And I really wanted to lay out that humility that you see from God all throughout the Bible, because some would think that God would be an egomaniac. People like Richard Dawkins saying that every person should worship him. Well, God is the opposite of an egomaniac. God is the embodiment of humility. And we see that most clearly in his son. Should we answer? I think we're going to answer this question real real quick. Uh, Brian says, are we supposed to serve the Passover, uh, Easter? So that's a great uh, question. Um, this is a question that goes back, really. Uh, you can see it happening in the time of Polycarp, around one twenty-five or so. He uh, is the bishop of Smyrna. I'm about to nerd out real quick. He's the bishop of Smyrna and highly respected guy and. Smyrna, of course, is in Asia Minor, and Polycarp was a disciple of the Apostle John, who was over the Church of Ephesus for a long time. Those guys are buddies, and Polycarp is carrying on the tradition of the Apostles, he says, and they celebrate both the death and the resurrection of Christ on the 14th of Aviv, or 14th of Nisan, that same month. They celebrate both. That's like Good Friday, Um, Passover. They celebrate both the the crucifixion and the resurrection on that day. Now in Rome, around that time, they celebrated uh, the resurrection of Christ on uh, the Sunday after the 14th of Nisan. So whenever the 14th of Nisan was, they celebrated the death on the Friday following and the resurrection on the Sunday after. And the Bishop of Rome at that time was a guy named Anicetus. And so there's this like, this, not an argument, but a disagreement. What day should they celebrate the resurrection of Christ? You got Rome on the Sunday after the 14th, and you got the churches of Asia Minor who say they're following the, um, the teachings of the apostles celebrating on the 14th of Nisan or Aviv. And they meet up, Anicetus allows Polycarp to serve communion, basically. Um, The Bishop of Rome um, letting Polycarp oversee that. And they debate. They each present their case. And they come to an agreement that the Church of Rome can do what it wants to do. And the Churches of Asia Minor can do what they want to do. And they're buddies, they're friends. Anastasia seemed to be a pretty pretty good bishop of Rome, though there was a lot of corruption before and after him. Obviously, he's not serving as a pope. Um, and uh, yeah, so I don't know what you want to do. I don't know when you want to celebrate it, but I think we should. And you should do it in a holy manner. That's the easiest answer that I could give.
0: Yeah, I think there's something to be said for having, I don't know whether you... you you celebrate Good Friday and Easter or whatever, but this I think it's an interesting um, way to do things where you recognize the death and then there's this period of waiting before you celebrate the resurrection, and I I like that in that um, you know there was this like t- really difficult time that the disciples went through where they were really questioning is this for real is he really going to do as he said, or you know, probably playing through everything that he had said in their time with him, trying to figure out where. Do, what do we do if we're not doing this? Where do we go? And um, I, I kind of personally like that sort of um, recognizing both of those times as important, and that that in between space is also important.
1: Yeah. All right. So, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You know, this word, tapinao. With the believer, this is, it happens by being fully dependent on the Lord, dismissing reliance on self, self self-government, and emptying carnal ego. This results, uh, sorry, this exalts the Lord as our all in all and prompts the gifts of his fullness in us. Just an incredible word that Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Just incredible humility that we've already been talking about. And I think it's uh, we, we need to demonstrate um, how this type of humility exalts the Lord. Romans 5, 6, for while we were still helpless, helpless, at the right time, without God, without hope in the world, right? As Ephesians says, at just the right time, Christ died for the righteous Christ died for the sinless Christ died for the obedient Christ died for the humble Christ died for the godly no Christ died for the ungodly mm. for one will hardly die for a righteous man though perhaps for the good man someone would even dare to die but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Just incredible humility being demonstrated demonstrated to us by Jesus, by God, and loving us, not just while we're sinners, but while we are enemies, because sin is hostility. it's enmity uh, between us and God. And uh, as you see in Genesis 3, it's, it's, it's war against God, as they are following, as they were following the Prince of the power of the air, Adam and Eve war. Uh, we do as well when we are sinning. We are following in their footsteps in trying to exalt ourselves above God like them, uh, making more on him. And yet just as God provided the covering for Adam and Eve, he does for us through the death of his son. And for this reason also, for this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. Because of his humility, dying for enemies, God exalts him. I want to show, uh, before I get into the name above every name, I just want to show a passage um, highlighting this. In Mark chapter 10, uh, James and John have come to Jesus and asked him, uh, can we sit on your right and left, basically, in your kingdom? And uh, Jesus goes, goes through this, this with them and saying, "You know, that's, it's not for you uh, to sit on my right and left because that's already been decided, probably speaking about the two insurrectionists uh, on crosses next to Jesus. The apostles get, sorry, yeah, they they get really upset about this and um, that James and John would try to uh, take on these positions of power and, and arguments break out. And so Jesus in 1042, calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, look, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What's coming to your mind, Stephanie, as you uh, see that passage?
0: Um, well, I think just a lot of conviction about the way that he served and the life that he led and how a lot of times my life is about me and not about others. And if anybody deserved to have his life be about himself, it was Jesus, but he chose to, um, to serve rather than be served and just, yeah, really convicted about, um, how I fall short of that.
1: Yeah. You know, um, I see a lot of the justice of God in this, Mm -hmm. that there may be people that rule for a few years, maybe a lot of years, maybe several decades. Um, but God's going to set things right. In that long time that they ruled, is going to feel like far less than the blink of an eye compared to the eternity
0: mm.
1: that they're going to be um, living in. And you know, honestly, I know we've talked about this before, but like when I think about moms, you know, like you, you know, you do so much um, putting other people above yourself sure it kind of feels not like 1800s slavery but you know you're uh, at all don't want to make light of that but like you are you are it's, it's almost a, like being a slave a of the household it's, it's a
0: thankless job yeah right and,
1: and um though like the husband is in like the position of authority in the house in one sense um i think they're going it's just a personal opinion i think when God rewards us according to our deeds. I think there are going to be a lot more women that have much greater rewards than men um, in, the, in eternity uh, when, when we are rewarded according to that. Um, yeah, God is a God of justice. So God is not going to let his son be a slave to all and then not experience exaltation, not experience reward. The, the slave of all becomes the greatest of all. Mm. And so I don't know um, what God's calling you to do that seems humiliating, but God exalts the humble. Mm. So um, just keep that in mind. Try to think more heavenly than earthly our lives, even if we get to live a hundred years, it is less than the blink of an eye compared to what's coming. Um, I want to get into the name above every name, um, some some places that we see that in scripture. Uh, and I've done a lot of that. Uh, I think, I believe I did a lot of that uh, last week, comparing Jesus, showing the stand. connection between Jesus and, and the Father. Mm-hmm. But this is John 17 just want to remind us of this passage again. John 17, Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory, with, uh, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. That's something interesting to ponder right there. I've manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them and they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you and they have believed that you sent me. I ask, sorry, So Jesus being obedient, right? Humbling himself and being obedient. You see this. You see so much Philippians 2 in this Mm. passage. Uh, I ask, verse 9, on their behalf. On their behalf? Close. Gosh. (laughs) I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but on but of those whom you have given me for they are yours and all things that are mine are yours and yours are mine. And I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world. And yet they themselves are in the world. I come to you. Holy father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me that they may be one, even as we are. Keep them in your name, the name which you have given me. Stephanie and I, you remember, I'm sure, um, these two Jehovah's Witness ladies that um, I spent a long time with a few different times outside the house. Mm -hmm. And then we invited them in one time to do an extended Bible study. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're just doing apologetics with them uh, for a couple of hours. And the one I was speaking to, God direct me, and I'd never thought about this passage before, but God direct me, like in, in the Jehovah's Witness context, God just directed me to read this passage with them, and she read it, and I asked them, what is God's name? And she said, Jehovah, and I said, what is the name of his son? And she said, Jesus, and I, well, what does this say? What does verse 11 say? Keep them in your name, the name which you have given me. And that... Uh, kind of caught her off guard and they were out of our house in about five minutes. Not the ending that I wanted, yeah. but um, it's just powerful right there. God exalted him and gave him the name above every name. Let's continue. Uh, Revelation chapter five, at the beginning of Revelation, do I need to stop? No. Okay. Beginning of Revelation five, you have these seals that are um, in the scroll and no one is found worthy to open the seals or the scroll rather. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book of the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, Think Exodus 12, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the book and break its seals for you were slain and you purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign upon the earth. That was already said in Revelation chapter one. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne. And the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice. And I want you at some point to look at Revelation 4 and compare these two passages. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing and then every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them i said to i heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever and the four living creatures kept saying amen and the elders fell down and worshiped every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. Mm. Powerful stuff there. But I want to do one more. Remember in First Timothy 6, no one can see the immortal invisible king of kings. And yet, Revelation 19, and I saw heaven open, this is the return of Christ, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. What's the name above every name? Jesus. And yet, there's no something special going yeah. on between God and the Son, mm-hmm. the Father and the Son here. Interesting. And, and that itself right there, sorry to let me pause for a second, but that itself should kind of stop the silliness in the debate of, is it Yehoshua, Hosea, Jesus, Joshua?
0: Because we don't know. Yeah, no one knows except himself. Otherwise, if they, if they know that passage is a lie, and if that's a lie, then Scripture's not trustworthy.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself, but he is clothed with a robe dripped in, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Mm-hmm. Genesis 15. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, are following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp... (laughs) From his mouth comes a sharp sword. It's a hard one. So that he (laughs) may strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron, Psalm 2. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, Revelation 14. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I don't know what that name is, you know, but that he has written on him, but I know enough to say Jesus has that name above every name. Mm. And at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that he's Lord. Let's start closing this or coming to the final lap, I guess you could say, of this race. For this reason, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee would bow of those who are in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, there are some people like Rob Bell who will look at passages like this, uh, look at passages um, in Colossians 1 where it talks about him reconciling all things to himself, and they come away with a belief of universalism, that this is saying that... Um, Everyone is eventually going to be reconciled to Him, and some people will go so far as to say even Satan himself is going to be reconciled to Him in the end. In the end, That's crazy. right? It is crazy, um, especially when you consider passages. You got tons of them, um, but here's one from Second Thessalonians. Uh,
0: you got it right on chapter the chapter one. Thank, Thank you so much. <laughs>
1: For after all, it's this speaking of the return of Christ. It's only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well. When the Lord Jesus will re- be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, as Revelation nineteen, in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God, and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Take some time and meditate on that. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed. For our testimony to you was believed. This is not universalism. Mm. Uh, I'm just gonna, I would encourage you to read Isaiah 45. Well, I'll I'll read it right now. Where's the every knee will bow, every tongue will confess thing coming from? It's kind of interesting. We'll do this. Paul is quoting here like he does, I believe in Romans chapter 14 from Isaiah 45. Who has announced this from old? Who has long since declared it? Is it not I, the Lord? And there is... No other God besides me, a righteous God and Savior. Remember, this is Yahweh talking. There is none except me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God. There is no other. I have sworn by myself, the word is gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and will not turn back. That to me every knee will bow and every tongue will swear, excuse me, every tongue will swear allegiance. They will say of me only in the Lord, our righteousness and strength. Men will come to him and all who are angry at him will be put to shame. Paul, in this passage, one of the things that he's saying is Jesus is one with Yahweh. He has that name above every name. He is the Lord. And I I do want to get at um, really quickly um, the whole every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father in heaven on earth and under the earth. Basically what he's saying is every created being, whether they are alive at the time of his return, whether they are angelic um, spirits, spiritual beings um, who never were humans, or whether they have died already um, under the earth. Every, every created being is going to swear allegiance to the Lord Jesus, whether that is willingly or unwillingly. Every knee will bow and every tongue, everyone, everything, just like it was said in Revelation chapter 5. Um, I want to read one quote from the early Christians about this passage. And then I want to close with one final thought. Now, the early Christian quote I'm going to uh, read is from a guy named Irenaeus. Now, we talked about Polycarp earlier and how Polycarp was a disciple of the Apostle John. Well, one of Polycarp's disciples was a man named Irenaeus. And Irenaeus became the Bishop of Lyon, basically in France and a highly respected guy, and he's writing around the year 180, and Irenaeus gives basically an early Christian creed for us. This is something that had been developing kind of like the Apostles Creed. This is a a creedal statement that had been developed. Um, This is long before Nicaea, and I've, I've, if you're on my Patreon, you've probably heard me doing creeds from like um, a letter to Diognetus, so check that out if you, if you want. But here's Irenaeus around 180. And he's going to cite that passage from Philippians chapter 2. Check this out. The church, though dispersed through our, throughout the whole world, even to the ends of the earth, has received from the apostles and their disciples this faith. So he's saying, I got this from Polycarp, who got this from John. Basically, that's what he's saying right there. And he's saying, This is what we all believe throughout the whole world. She believes in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are in them, and in one Christ, the Son of God, who became incarnate for our salvation. And in the Holy Spirit, who proclaimed through the prophets the dispensations of God and the advents and the birth from a virgin and the passion, that's the sufferings, and the resurrection from the dead and the ascension into heaven in the flesh of the beloved Christ Jesus, our Lord, and his future manifestation from heaven in the glory of the Father to gather all things in one and to raise up anew all flesh of the whole human race in order that to Christ Jesus, our Lord and God and Savior and King, according to the will of the invisible Father, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in the earth and things under the earth and every tongue should confess to him and that he should execute just judgment towards all, that he may send spiritual wickedness and the angels who transgressed and became apostates together with the ungodly and unrighteous and wicked and profane among men into everlasting fire, but may, in the exercise of his grace, confer immortality on the righteous and holy. And those who have kept his commandments and have persevered in his love, some from the beginning of their Christian course and others from the date of their repentance and may surround them with everlasting glory. God exalts the humble. He resists the proud, but he exalts the humble. We're called to have this attitude in ourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who Although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and gave him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in, the, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I think if we're going to take away an application, this passage demonstrates the first sentence from the Sermon on the Mount which I believe is a summary statement basically of the entire Bible. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. I think you see this passage running from Genesis to Revelation, and you particularly see it in Jesus Christ who emptied himself, making himself completely dependent upon and subservient to the will of the Father, of his Father. Because he pours himself out, empties himself, because he became poor, he is exalted to the highest place. The kingdom of heaven flows through him and is poured out on him in the highest measure. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Froggy say, hey, are we talking about the Beatitudes? Yeah, and um, if you want to check out like a phrase-by-phrase breakdown of the Beatitudes, I did a series of those on my podcast, Froggy, and those are all free for you. So just go back through Reclaiming the Faith, and you can see Poor in Spirit, uh, Blessed are those who mourn, the meek, all that stuff, um, hungering and Thirst for Righteousness. Every phrase, you're going to get a breakdown of what the early Christians believed on that. So go back into my feed. Uh, so please go check that out. Yeah. Were you going to say something?
0: Yeah. I was just, I mean, plus our poor in spirit is like basically humble, like people that know what they need, you know, know that they don't know everything They're, um And I, I, I was, I see that synonym or that, that, um, that word throughout all that we've read, like, Humility or meekness, I guess, is another another word that comes to mind. Meekness being like this power that you're choosing not to exercise, mm-hmm. um, you know, power over people, not the power of God or anything like that. But um, yeah, I just keep kept thinking as you were talking, like, be humble and listen to God. Like that's what Jesus did. He was humble and he listened to the Father and he did what the Father told him to do, and that resulted in miracles at at various times. And that also resulted in him dying, but resurrecting for us to be able to have eternal life. And, uh, you know, we, when we listen to God, we may encounter difficult things, but we're going to, it's going to be a blessing to other people and it's going to bring about God's good purpose. So we need to be humble and know that we don't know everything and The things that God calls us to do a lot of times look um, a little wacky to the rest of the world. They might look really, really strange. I mean, look at the prophets. Like so many of the things God called them to do were just bizarre. But um, they are for a purpose, and um, we need to listen and to obey.
2: Sog, turn to skeptic to faith don't turn away cause I've gotta tell you the news Rome is a false savior so follow the truth <laughs> a couple strangers on the colony way walking with a strong faith for some chains would be loose they met Young girl was a slave of a snake, found liberty that day. It's waiting for you, Rome is a false savior, so follow the truth. Saying same two beaten bloody for grace, the stocks should never temporary part of their praise but then a midnight quake opened all of the gates if they run they're gonna be digging my grave a sword drawn gonna end it today and then the man said stop it left me confused and so I cried out for the way to be saved he spoke the word of the Lord and a sudden.